0: Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, I direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible, and now join us as we dive into today's passage.
1: 2nd Samuel chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. Then David mustered the men who were with him and said over the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And David sent out the army, one-third under the command of Joab, one-third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zeriah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of Ittai, the Gittite. And the king said to the men, I myself will also go out with you. But the men said, You shall not go out, for if we flee, they will not care about us. If half of us die, they will not care about us. But you are worth ten thousand of us. Therefore, it is better that you send that you send us help from the city. The king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood at the side of the gate, while all the army marched out by hundreds and by thousands. And the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Entai, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David. And the loss there was great on that that day, 20,000 men. The battle spread over the face of all the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. And Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak. And his head caught fast in the oak, and he was suspended between heaven and earth, while the mule that was under him went on. And a certain man saw it, and told Joab, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Joab said to the man who told him, What you saw him, why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, if, Even if I had felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For, for in our hearing, the king commanded, You and Abishai and Ittai, for my sake, protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there is nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Job said, I will not waste time like this with you. And he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Job's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. Then Job blew a trumpet, and the troops came back from pursuing Israel, for Job restrained them. And they took Absalom and threw him into a great pit in the forest and raised over him a very great heap of stones. And all Israel fled, every one to his own home. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken a set up for himself the pillar, that, the pillar that is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and it is called Absalom's Monument to this day.
0: 2 Samuel chapter 18. If you don't have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to page 317, the Black Pew Bible in front of you. Oftentimes we, we get anxious about life's happenings, and, and rightly so, because some things we go through are difficult, and um, we wonder what the Lord's will is. But this black pew Bible that sits in front of you, or the Bible that you're holding in your hands, is, is how we know His will for our lives. So because of that, we want to study it this morning. We are getting back to a... Series we we took a pause in on uh, December for Advent we took a break and then we talked about baptism repentance and then baptism last week and the reason we did that is we have quite a few that are that have repented and trusted Christ's work on the cross as their own they need to be baptized and obey the Lord in that and so that's why we taught on that last week and so here in a couple of weeks we'll have a a time of baptism. But we're getting back to 2 Samuel. We're going to finish this book. First and 2 Samuel initially was one, was one book. And so we are in 2 Samuel 18. We're going to look uh, through chapter 19, verse 8. But I, I don't know about you. As we've studied through 1 and 2 Samuel, I've learned a ton. It's been great. I hope it's true of you as well. But I want to give you, those of you that haven't been a part of that study, I want to kind of catch you up on where we are, give you the context for 2 Samuel 18. Israel, uh, the series we're doing is Need of a King, right? There is a need for a king in Israel at this point in time. It's during the time of the judges. um, The last judge, the first prophet, is Samuel. And Israel wanted a king. They wanted a king badly, and they didn't want just any old person. They wanted a king that looked like all the nation's kings surrounding them, all the pagan nations. And so God accommodated them and gave them a king. It wasn't the kind of king who loved God, but he looked like the kings of the nations, and he was a man who could lead the nation into battle. And it did not go well. Saul was a disappointment, and God removed him from office because of his disobedience. But God anointed another, a shepherd boy, David, to be king over Israel. He was the shepherd who became a king. And he wasn't perfect, as we've seen study the life of David. He was far from it. But he did love the Lord. And God had promised David that he would have a descendant on the throne forever. We call it the Davidic Covenant. And David did many things well as he ruled God's people. But being a father was not his greatest strength. And in fact, where we are in our text this morning, we see his son Absalom. He's after the throne and he's leading a coup in order to take over the kingdom for himself. And at this point in time, David, the king, has fled Jerusalem and Absalom has entered that city. Absalom then calls on his helper, Ahithophel, and asked for his counsel on how he may best establish himself as king. And Ahithophel's counsel comes in two parts. Number one, he tells tells Absalom to sleep with David's concubines in view of all Jerusalem. And Absalom took his advice and did that in view of all of Israel, I mean all of Jerusalem. And secondly, the second piece of advice Ahithophel gave Absalom was to pursue David immediately before David had time to get organized. Now this advice wasn't heeded. And it wasn't heeded for this reason, because David had sent a covert spy to work there with Absalom. His name was Hushai. And Hushai was there to hinder Absalom's plans and to send back word as to what was going on in Jerusalem. And it's providential that Absalom didn't listen to Ahithophel, but listened to Hushai. And this allowed David to elude Absalom and get his army organized. So the, the, the council was immediately pursue David as David's fleeing the city before he can get organized and let's, let's kill David. We'll leave everybody else. We'll let everybody else survive and they'll worship you and, and follow you and, and, and be led by you. But David, we must put down. Absalom didn't listen to that advice, so he took his time and allowed David to catch his breath and to get his his troops organized so that's where we are the context for second samuel chapter eighteen and as hunter read this the first part of this text for us we see in verse one and two david organizes his men and he puts them into three groups and then david wanted to go to battle and he told his men i'm going to go into battle and and it's, it's, it's wonderful to see this amy because i think what's happened here david says okay i'm going into battle i'm going to lead you into battle and, and all of his leaders said no You're not going to do that. And he says the reason you're not going to do that is because if you're not with us and we have to flee, Absalom may kill some of us, but he won't pursue us very diligently. But if you're with us, no matter what happens, he'll never stop pursuing us. So it's better if you're not with us. And it's interesting because you remember David, there was a time when David did not go off to war. The Scriptures tell us it was a time when the kings went off to war, but what was David doing? David was in Jerusalem, lounging back, kicking back, and enjoying himself. And that's when he sinned with Bathsheba. So I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged to think maybe David here has learned his lesson. He's like, I'm going off to battle. I'm not staying. I'm going off to battle with you. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's better if you don't. It's better if you don't. And so what happens in the battle? They're victorious. But verse 5 tells us something kind of interesting. David, as his men are, are leaving, going out to battle. He gives them a, a pep talk, so to speak, but it's, it's different than you would expect. What he ends up saying in verse 5 is, he says, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. Now think about this. Absalom is the cause of all of this. They're having to uproot and, and leave their homes. They're running for their lives because of Absalom. And here, All these soldiers are fighting for David, risking their lives. And here, the last words that David says as they're leaving to go out to battle is, well, take care of my son Absalom. (coughs) David will allow his men to kill other Israelites, but not his son, the leader of this revolution. I want you to fight, but I don't want you to fight to win. That's a pretty, a pretty pitiful sight. But it tells us they go off to war and they gain a victory. Verses 6-8. through eight. The battle between David's soldiers and those attempting the coup on Absalom's behalf is, is lopsided. David's soldiers win a decisive victory. 20,000 of Absalom's men are defeated. And verse 8 tells us that the forest devoured more people than the sword. Well, that's kind of interesting. I mean, Brian, I'm, I'm reading that. I'm thinking, where well, is there quicksand in the forest? You know, or is there um, canyons? Is there like hidden cisterns where people are falling? I'm not sure. I think the main point is that God's on David's side, and Absalom's threat is deterred, and David and his men are victorious. Absalom didn't prevail. The Lord saw to it that David was victorious. In verse 9 through 15, not only is 20,000 men, Absalom's men, defeated, but Absalom himself breathed his last breath in that forest. And it's almost like a cartoon. If you read, I don't know if it struck you strange as Hunter was reading that. Let's look at that text. Verse 9, Absalom was riding on his mule and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak and his head caught fast in the oak and he was suspended between heaven and earth while the mule that was under him went on. And then a certain man saw him and went and reported to Joab. And what did Joab do? Scolded him for not killing Absalom and then went and with his help of his armor bearers they put javelins and swords into Absalom's body and he died. But to me it was kind of odd. I mean it's almost like a cartoon or like uh, Jeremy, I was thinking about a Three Stooges episode. I mean, he's riding his mule, and what happens? He gets caught, you know, and s- some people say it was because of his hair. Remember his long, beautiful hair that he, that he had that he got cut once a year? Maybe got tangled in the, in the tree, but I, I think more probably more proper translation, his head got caught between a fork of, of, a, of a branch, and he's hanging there suspended. It it's, it's seems quite ridiculous. Funny, in fact. But I think what it shows us is that God is sovereign. And what happened to Absalom was the Lord happened to Absalom. He was defeated because the Lord was with David. The Lord was with David. Not because David was perfect, but God had promised David that he would would be on the throne and that his descendants would, would have a place on the throne forever and forever. And we see God providentially bringing that to fruition. It's interesting that Joab was the one who put Absalom to death. If you remember the story, those of you who've been with us, Joab was the one who helped Absalom return to Jerusalem. A lot of things happened in David's life. It was kinda like a, a Jerry Springer show gone badly. One of David's sons, Amnon, took Tamar, Absalom's sister, and raped her. And to make that right, Absalom killed Amnon. And so as a result of that, Absalom's been on the run, and been in exile for quite some time, for several years. And Joab was the one who brought Absalom back and talked to the king and mediated between them and allowed Absalom to come back into Jerusalem. But it's quite ironic that Joab is the one who actually put Absalom to death. And the writer of 2 Samuel, he makes no moral comment about what Joab has done here in killing Absalom against David's wishes you remember as they're going out that's the last thing he says take care of my baby boy right but I I think that command given to the soldiers were were bad were wrong and Joab makes a decision it's the right decision because with Absalom's death the revolt the coup is over and Absalom deserved to die didn't he several times over I mean think about what he's done in his life if you've been with us I mean, the Lord had declared in the law that one who dishonored his father was cursed, right? And likewise, the one who slept with his father's wife was cursed as well. You can read that in Deuteronomy chapter 27. And Absalom, of course, had done both of those. He deserved to die. But this victory allowed David to return to Jerusalem. But it, it tells us in verse 17 and 18 that as Absalom is killed and his body is buried, it tells us of this monument. It's kind of interesting. Absalom had set up a monument so people would remember him by. And this, and then it goes on to say that his body, after he, w- it was, he was killed, was thrown into a ditch or into a pit, and it was covered over by a mound of rocks, and that was his monument. And we'll, we'll return to that in, in just a moment. But let's look at verses 19 through 33. Let's read that together real quickly, and then we're going to talk through that. Verses 19 of chapter 18, Then, Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, "Let me run and carry the news to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the hand of his enemies." And Joab said to him, "You are not to carry news today. You may carry news another day, but today you shall not carry. You shall carry no news because the king's son is dead." Then Joab said to the Cushite, "Go tell the king what you have seen." The Cushite bowed before Joab and ran. Then. Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, Zadok, said to Joab, Come what may, let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, Why will you run, my son, seeing that you will have no reward for the news? Come what may, he said, I will run. So Joab said to him, Run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up, to the roof of the gate by the wall. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, he saw a man running alone. Verse 25, The watchman called out and told the king. And the king said, If he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he drew near and near, And the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called to the gate and said, See another man running alone. The king said, He also brings good news the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimaaz, the the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man and comes with good news. See the focus there is on good news, isn't it? Then Ahimaaz cried out to the king, All is well. And he bowed before the king with his face to the earth and said, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. And notice what the king said. He didn't ask him about the battle. He didn't ask about anything else. But he wanted to know about his baby boy Absalom, didn't he? Is it well with the young man Absalom? Ahimaaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant, your servant, I saw a great commotion, but I did not know what it was. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Now that wasn't altogether true, was it? Verse 31, And behold, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good news from my lord the king, for the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all those who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, again, here's this question, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. In other words, it didn't end up so well for him. He's done for. Verse 33, And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, "Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. Well, I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. Before there were telegraphs and telephones, radios, news of battles were brought from the front lines to the commanders by runners. And that's what these two men were. And Ahimaaz wanted to carry the good news to David, didn't he? And if you read the whole story in chapter 17, he was a messenger, but he had to bring bad news for this time he wanted to bring the good news. He wanted to be the first one to inform the king of this victory. And I can, I can relate to that, can't you? Want to be the bearer of good news? After Jenny asked me to marry her, I couldn't wait to tell other people... To, about that, that was a big moment in my life. I want to tell everybody, right? No, I, I asked her. She'd been wanting to ask me for a long time, but I finally asked her. <laughs> or this week, even my my son Seth, he killed his first deer. We're kind of my family. We're kind of rednecks. We 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 hunt a lot, and we that's that's our hobby. We do that a lot, and. And my son, he killed his first deer. And I was really excited when I heard that he was with my dad. And he called me. And, and so I, really, I was really excited about telling Jenny about this news of Seth killing his deer. He's been going this year, and he hasn't seen anything, right? And he finally gets to see something. He gets a shot. and He kills a deer. And um, I wanted to tell Jenny about him harvesting a deer. That was pretty exciting. Or we had another incident this, this, um, this weekend Phil and Cindy Ramsey their son Skyler and Mary Evelyn who she's here uh today she had a they had a gender reveal party Yeah Phil and Cindy I told them that it's it's people and me that's what this baby is a gender reveal party and It's going to be can I say it's okay now it's after the part right it's going to be a little boy right a little boy and so they're excited and so te- Phil what he did is he texted me said hey it's going to be a boy you know he's excited about bringing this news right this good news um, so yeah, they're going to be. We're, their names are going to be. You don't get to choose your name, really. People always want to choose grandparents. You want to choose your name because you want like a cool, trendy name. But why? I don't understand that. So, I was going to run to house, but I just texted. Yeah, yeah, he was going to run, like a him eyes. He was going to run. Yeah, he just texts me because we have we have that technology now, but. Um, but yeah, so we want, to be, we want to be the bearer of good news. So we, we kind of can understand him, Oz. Yeah, he wants to bring this news to David. But, but isn't it interesting? Joab knows David. And Joab knows this isn't going to be good news for David. He's not going to take this well. right? Joab, when he finds out that Absalom's hanging from this tree, he disregards David's request. He kills Absalom. the message has been sent, right? He's been buried. A monument's been built in his name, right? Over his his grave. And the news has been sent to David. And David is crushed by the news. And it's interesting that eyes wanted to deliver this news, but he didn't give all the news, right? He just wanted to deliver, deliver the good part. We're victorious. When asked about Absalom, he didn't answer, right? He, in fact, he lied. Well, there's this commotion when I left, and I don't know what was happening. I'm just here to tell you that the victory's been won. But the Cushite gives him the the, the full story. And David, it hits him like a ton of bricks, and he just he, he weeps, and he's so sad. And we can understand that, can't we? I mean, no parent wants to bury a child. In fact, my my grandfather, he buried his second oldest son. He passed away in his 50s unexpectedly. And he told me, I remember he he telling me, he said, you know, this is just not natural. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And it's not. So we can understand David and his grief. This son had to die for the benefit of the kingdom. So there could be a kingdom, Right. Absalom, this rogue son, had to be had to be killed in battle. And I think David he weeps, at chapter nineteen, verse one through four. He he realized the tragedy of what had happened, not just as he lost his his son, and not only was David, I'm, I'm sure, feeling partly responsible for it because he was such a terrible father, but I think. David probably knew that, you know, Absalom, he had no faith. David, he was a man after God's own heart, but Absalom had no love of the Father in him. Absalom loved himself, and it showed in his actions. Let's read chapter 19. What happens is is the soldiers are returning from this battle because the, the, the king is not celebrating, the king is not congratulating the soldiers, the king is weeping. He's grieving over his son. As the soldiers return and, and, and come back into Jerusalem, they don't come back to greetings and celebrations. They come back and they sneak into the city. It's like a it's like a a, a young person who's 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 sneaking in after curfew. They're ashamed. They're not excited. They're not proud. They're ashamed because the king is sad and he's weeping and he's grieving. David has lost perspective. He can't see what's good for the kingdom. Matthew Henry, he writes this, the people will take particular notice of what their princes say and do. The more eyes we have upon us, And the greater our influence is, the more need we have to speak and act wisely and to govern our passions strictly. Look at verse 5 of chapter 19. Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines, because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. I mean, the, his, his soldiers risked their lives. Some of them lost their lives so that David could be victorious. See, David, had he's, he's grieving so much, he's lost perspective. And what David needs... Jerry, he needs a good rebuke. And that's what Joab does. Now, Joab isn't a godly person. We're going to see his demise in the chapters to come. He's a scoundrel, if you will. But he speaks truth. And he tells David that David is acting like he'd rather all those who risk their lives were dead instead of Absalom, who is David's enemy. Look what he tells him in verse 7. And... This is a subordinate speaking to his authority. Now therefore arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants, for I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth unto now. The king is in no condition. He's not thinking rightly, and he needs somebody to tell him what to do. And that's what Joab does. He must go to the troops and congratulate them. Let them know you appreciate their sacrifice and their effort on your behalf. I mean think about these soldiers that have, that have fought this battle. Not only did they you know, were they They're sad cuz their king's sad, right? But you can imagine, they don't feel very appreciated. I mean, this is, after all, we risk our lives for you, and this is how you're going to respond? I mean, how can you put down this revolt without taking out the leader of the coup? And so Joab delivers this firm rebuke to the king. David's wrong and needs to be corrected. Yeah, but notice this. Notice verse verse eight. Well, he gets this. He gets this rebuke in verse seven. But look at verse eight, and this is why we love David. What did the king do? Then he. Then the king arose, took his seat in the gate, and the people were all told, "Behold, the king is sitting in the gate," and all the people came before the king. So what did David? How did he respond? He responded rightly, didn't he? That's the great thing about David. David, he blows it time and time again. But when he's rebuked and the one correcting him is right, David responds rightly. That's why I think he's called a man after God's own heart. Lessons from our text today. There's four I want to point out to you this morning. The first is... The life you live is the monument you build. Chapter 18, we see this monument that Absalom built for himself. Now that just sounds terrible, doesn't it? Absalom, the king's son, he builds a monument to himself so people would see it and remember him after he's gone. What's that sound like to you? Sound like another story in the Bible? Students that make you think of anything. It makes me think of the Tower of Babel. What's going on in the Tower of Babel? The people congregated in one city instead of scattering like the Lord wanted them to, and they wanted to build a tower. Why? To make a name for themselves, right? Yeah, kind of a similar situation. But it's interesting, Absalom. We don't. You never have mentioned this monument again the monument that Absalom built for himself, because we don't think about that when we think about Absalom, do we? No, we think about the monument, the second monument, right? The stones thrown over the pit that he was thrown into after he was killed by Joab. No, we, we think about his, his disrespect to his father. We th- think about his heinous sin during this coup attempt. We think about the bizarre way he died and how self-absorbed he was. That's what we think about. So this pillar, this monument in the Valley of the Kings, it'll never erase the memory of his sin. Think about that. Think about William Shakespeare. You could find his grave and where he's buried. That could be destroyed, but Hamlet will live forever. Christopher Wren, he was an English architect. He designed St. Paul's Cathedral. And there, and there at St. Paul's Cathedral, there's a lot of monuments, there's a lot of epitaphs. But there's a little simple tablet in memory of him who built this cathedral. And on it, it says this in Latin, If you seek his monument, look around you. See, so he didn't need a, a, a headstone for us to remember Christopher Wren. Now you just look at what he did while he was alive. And that's what we remember him for. And so just maybe by way of application for us, what will people remember about you and about me and when we're gone? What people are going to remember is how we lived our lives. What would they think of you when they hear your name? Second thing we learn from this text is a firm word is sometimes needed. Joab gives a firm word, a word of rebuke to David. And Joab, he's easily criticized for, his, for, his, for a lot of things. It's easy to criticize Joab, and rightly so. But Joab was right In his rebuke of David. Sometimes we're, I think we're tempted as as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're we're tempted, I think, to, to give gracious words, gentle words. And we need to be gentle, don't we? We need to be, I mean, the scriptures tell us that we're to correct one another, but do it gently, right? But we all need a a forthright word spoken to us at times. May we have the courage to confront one another lovingly but firmly proverbs twenty five eleven a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver sometimes a A firm word, a a rebuke spoken at the right time can can be used greatly by the Lord, right? Paul, he asked the Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 18 through 20, It's right on the heels of the armor of God passes, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, Paul, asking them for prayer, that words may be given me to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am a, an ambassador in chains that, that i may declare it boldly as i ought to speak sometimes we have to be bold being bold means you're not chickening out right I means you have the courage to say something hard to someone Yeah, that's needed, right? And why is that needed? Because we're all messed up people. Because we all have needs, right? We all need to be corrected. I was talking this morning to a sister in Christ, and we have a a mutual friend who are believers. They've walked with the Lord for a while, but they've been out of fellowship, and they haven't been in church for a long time. And, and, And as we talk with them, some of their... Some of the things they say, they're not biblical things. So we're, we're concerned about them. And I, I told this sister, I said, you know, what they've done is they've removed themselves from any chance of being corrected, any chance of being rebuked. Because what happens when we live on our own? Our own ways in our own eyes, look right all the time. But sin is deceiving, isn't it? And so what we need is we need other people to be able to point those things out. That No, you're not thinking rightly about that. That's not what the Bible says. I mean, how how many of us need that? We all do. Because it's so easy to, to think our own thoughts are always right all the time. And that's not the way it works. So, yeah, we need, to, we need to recognize a firm word is sometimes needed. I mean, think about sharing the good news. I mean, when you share the good news, what are you doing? Amy, what we're doing, we share the good news, is we're actually rebuking somebody. Because what, what are you doing? You're telling somebody that they're wrong. How many of you enjoy that? No, we want to be right, but the gospel tells us that we're wrong. I mean, that's part of the gospel. You're wrong. You need to repent and trust Christ's work on the cross for your righteousness because you're not righteous. That's hard to do, isn't it? Yeah, that's why when we go to share the gospel, heart starts racing a little bit, Amelia, and we start getting kind of sweating a little bit. Wonder if we're going to do this thing right. Wonder if this thing's going to be received rightly. Yeah, because it's hard to do. But it must be done, right? It must be done. Are you willing to speak a word of rebuke to a brother or sister in need? That's a question for you. And are you in an environment where you can actually do that? But with that, third thing is a wise man will seek to profit from good advice. We can share that rebuke gently, but sometimes forthrightly, but we have to be able to receive it rightly. That's hard to do. For all of us, and you'll ask my wife or my kids or people that know me well. Typically, what I do when I'm rebuked is, what do I do? I do what you do. What's that? Yeah, we defend ourselves. Yeah, and that's okay. So when when we get a word of rebuke, don't expect this. Okay, they're going to start crying and ask forgiveness and just turn and do exactly what you want them to do. That doesn't happen most of the time. Usually what happens is they defend themselves. You just kind of let that thing go, and what happens? Give them two or three days for the Spirit of God to put them in a full nail sin, and what do they do? That's what happens with me, right? Jenny and I, we do that. We don't respond rightly, but oh, give her a couple quiet times, you know, <laughs> two or three quiet times, Lord. Right? <laughs> but that, that's what I need, Right? Get a, hear a word of rebuke and I need to spend two or three days with the Lord and the Spirit of God what is he going to do? Open my eyes and say yeah you, you're, you're a sinner you need to repent, you need to make that right so we, we not we, not only do we need to have the boldness to to, to rebuke and we, gotta, we have to do, and there's another sermon on that we do that gently and with love and with the right motive, right you never go to someone and rebuke somebody if you want to if you want to rebuke somebody don't do it Right? because your heart's not right But at the same time, we have to be able to receive that and respond rightly. That's the great thing about David. David's, man, he's terrible. The things he did were heinous and terrible. But we love him. Why? Because he responds to rebuke. That's the difference between he and Saul. Saul didn't respond to rebuke. He kept saying, no, I didn't, no, I didn't, no, I didn't. Right? A wise man will seek to profit from good advice no matter who offers it, no matter how unkind it may be given. Like I said, there's a sermon for every day. We have to do that rightly. I mean, if a mailman's bringing me a, my, my tax return, that check that sometimes some people get, are we going to refuse it because we don't like the appearance or the manners of the postman? Sometimes people rebuke us they don't do it rightly, in the right tone or the right time. But Mark, Matthew Henry, he says, "When we're convinced of a fault, we must amend, though we are told it by our inferiors and indecently, or in heat and in passion, we must amend, right? I think David, he, looking back on this incident, probably, he writes Psalm 141, verse five. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. It's a kindness to be told, to be rebuked, to be corrected. People love you. Most people don't want to do that. Most people don't want to tell you you're wrong. Truth of the matter is most of us don't. We don't do that enough. A wise man will seek to profit from good advice. And lastly, I think this is the main point of the text. One will not prevail against the Lord's anointed. Absalom wanted to be king of his own life. He wanted to be king over Israel. He rejected David as his king, even though he was his father. And by doing so, he's rejecting God's king. And and thus, he's in rebellion against God. And as a result, he gets caught like Larry, Curly, and Mo in a tree and gets run through with javelins and is thrown into a pit and covered over with rocks. Aslam couldn't win. David couldn't lose. Why? Because he's the Lord's anointed. He is the Messiah of the Old Testament. The Lord was on his side and you can't defeat the Lord. See, there's a promise of the eternal kingdom called the Davidic covenant, right? We mentioned that before. Still, it still, hasn't ceased being true. And despite David's failures, despite tragedy after tragedy, God will use David to raise up the greatest king. Think about David's life. The consequence of his sin ran deep. But the plans and the promises of God... run deeper. See, David's descendant, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, came to this earth and He lived a perfect life, the life we must live. He lived it for us. And He died the death, a cruel death, for sinners. He was buried on the third day. He rose from the grave. He appeared to His disciples and many others, and then He ascended into heaven. But He told His disciples He's coming back. One will not prevail against the Lord's anointed. My question for you, are you opposing the Lord? The Lord wants you to love Him. He wants you to submit to Him. He lived. Jesus lived the life you must live. He died the death. You must die. By repenting of your sin and trusting Christ's work on the cross, that He died, that He was buried, that He rose from the grave. By faith in Christ's work, we can receive the righteousness of Jesus. That life He lived can be our life, and the death He died can be our death but it takes us repenting and trusting Christ. Are you opposing the Lord? Are you obstinate toward the Savior? This is the rebuke I was telling about. Sometimes we have to rebuke others that we love. This is the rebuke. If you're, in a, if you're resisting the Lord, if you're not submitted to Him, and you're living your own life, doing your own thing, and you're separated from the Lord... When you breathe your last, you'll be separated from the Father for all eternity, and He'll pour out His wrath upon you, and that's what you will deserve. And if it just so happens that you're alive when Jesus returns, and you're yet to submit to Christ and His Lordship, you will be separated like sheeps and goats, wheat and tares, And the Bible tells us over and over and again, you'll be separated from the Lord, cast in the lake of fire, and for all eternity the wrath of God will be poured out upon you. You're a sinner, just like me. You need to repent and trust Christ. So that's the rebuke. How will you receive the word of rebuke? Will you respond rightly as David did? and repent and trust Christ. I hope you will do that. If you're not even sure how to do that, I would love to talk to you about that. No one opposes the Lord and wins. Like Absalom. No one opposes the Lord and wins. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge You are good to us and You give us Your Word so we can know your will and know your character and know what you desire from us and for us. We're thankful for this true story that we're recorded. We're thankful for David's life and his example for us. Is When he was rebuked, he responded rightly. And he obeyed and did what he was supposed to do. And Father, I pray that that would be true of us this morning. That those who are here, who are separated from you, have yet to repent and trust Christ, that they would respond rightly, that they would repent and they would trust Jesus' work as their own. Father, may you open spiritual eyes and ears and may you do a miracle even today in hearts and minds of children, of men and women, of boys and girls. Father, for us as a church, may you help us to be... more like Christ, that the life we live will be a life pleasing to you, that when we are no more, the effects of our life will continue in the hearts of many people as we do your work. Father, may we give words of correction as needed. Sometimes gentle words, sometimes firm words. May you help us to do that rightly. And Lord, may we be people who are open to that. Father, we all need to be corrected because we're all wrong so often. May we be in a position. May we be in such fellowship within our church that we hear those words and respond as you would have us to respond. Lord, may we be a church that loves one another enough to share a word of rebuke. May we love you enough to respond rightly to it. Lord, we're thankful for all that you've done this week, the people that's heard the gospel and what we've learned and studied in your word and the the phone calls that many have received and letters and words of encouragement. Thank you for the words of rebuke that's been given. Lord, I'm thankful for that. Lord, as we leave today, may you fill us with your spirit and give us, empower us to do what you would have us to do. Lord, for the visitors that are here, and some are trying to find a church home, a place that they can lock arms with people, where they can share words of rebuke and receive words of rebuke, I pray for your direction in their lives, that you would direct them where you would have them to be. Father, for those who are here, who are struggling, who are struggling with hidden sin, maybe, Father, I pray that you would be gracious to them that they will be able to confess that to you and confess that maybe to a brother and sister in Christ if need be. Thank you for David and his example. Thank you for most of all for the new David, the true David, Jesus Christ. May we be more like him. And as a result, may we give you more glory in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information and we'll see you next time.